Coming up, an extensive chat with SNY studio host reporter Chris Williamson as he shares his broadcasting life and journey with yours truly as episode 217 is on deck. I'll get into it momentarily, but first, this message. Hey everybody, Jay Reels here to share a friendly reminder. If this is your first time getting an opportunity to listen to what it is that I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports, welcome aboard. Or if you've been a long-time listener, not only do I welcome you back, but I want to advise you all to please subscribe, rate, and review the J Reels podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Of course, this pod is on all platforms. On Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, Player FM, even Amazon Music. I not only host this endeavor, but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to. So your participation is vital to not only support the podcast, but increase the visibility, fuel the growth and expansion of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it. You could also share the show or a particular episode by posting on social media as well. The purpose of this is quite simple, people. To generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, the broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, the press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so then I could flip that to you guys and gals to deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, incredible sports talk unlike any other. For everyone to listen and enjoy and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to my website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. I appreciate you all for your support. Thank you very much for listening and believing in me. I hope you come back for more as your trusted source on everything that's happening in the world of sports. So with that said, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic and excellent spirits as the weather is bright and sunny outside. It is not only the middle of the week, which must mean a very special guest, but it is the final day of the month of September in the year of our Lord, 2021, September the 30th, which means the final quarter of the year is on the horizon. People, get those goals ready because before you know it, the conclusion of the year will be here. It will be January 1st. We don't want to think about resolutions, forget about those, because those suckers don't work. So do not wait until the calendar flips to 2022. Start getting those goals ready now. Get the ball rolling. Let's get it. Plant those seeds. Time waits for no one. Keep on working. Practice good habits, and then watch them all flourish. So just keep that in mind, because before you know it, it'll be Halloween, then Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Happy New Year, and then 2022 has arrived. So... Let's get it, people. And speaking of getting it, joining me today is Sportsnet New York, a.k.a. SNY, the studio host and reporter Chris Williamson, as we cover a majority of topics, 
his broadcasting journey, early highlights of his young career, what it's like to work in a media hotbed like New York City, and a few other tidbits that he shares along the way as he blesses us with what it's like to work not only here in New York, but in the TV journalist space. I recorded this last Tuesday via Zoom. While the audio comes through loud and clear during our conversation, there are some moments where you'll hear some feedback popping up. So my apologies for any technical difficulties ahead of time, but be sure that you will hear me and Chris loud and clear. It will come through your speakers or earbuds 100%, but I just wanted to put that out there as a precaution. So without further ado, people, here's my discussion with SNY's Chris Williamson, and I'll catch you on the other side. Enjoy. All right, Chris, so uh, take us back to the beginning as far as maybe even getting into sports or wanting to try to get into this field. And I know that, for instance, with me, when I was a young boy, now granted, I'm 52 years old, so nobody knew that down the road there was going to be all these different sports stations or even social media for that matter. But as a boy growing up, please tell us when and where. And at the same time, uh, what was it that attracted you to the world of sports? You know, what attracted me to the world of sports, like sports journalism or mm-hmm. just sports in general? Oh, a little bit of both. I mean, it could, I figured sports both. would be first. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So my, my father played football and, and basketball. Uh, and he, he, my father was the reason why my siblings and I were heavily involved in, in sports. So, he would, you know, have us doing tennis, tennis lessons and, uh, you know, basketball practice and, uh, you know, soccer, mm-hmm. the whole the whole nine yards, because they both my parents wanted us to be active. But my dad had the the sports route, sports routine right. of playing football at Harvard. And and so that's kind of how, you know, I was brought up and where where the sports desire came from i guess since it you know, ran in my blood mm-hmm. ran in my dna and i gravitated towards basketball a lot because while we were encouraged to stay active and you know be involved in these sports activities um the one sport that my brother and i really enjoyed was basketball and that had to do with Michael Jordan, we watched all his DVDs and, you know, highlights. I had the whole collection going down with the the VCR, put the VHS tape in there. And then we had the DVDs Mm -hmm. and watching highlights online on TV. So we were obsessed. And from that point on, our goals were to be in the NBA. We were going to be like Michael Jordan, wear size, was it 14 shoe, be 6'6", yeah. dunking and posterizing all over people, making them look silly. <laughs> and obviously that didn't happen, right? right? So when I realized, so after 14, 15 years of my life, I had spent so much time practicing on being the best basketball player that I could be. Unfortunately, God didn't want me to be a basketball player and i found out i found that out the hard way when i was cut from my jv team uh, my sophomore year and at this point i'm saying okay 
clearly you're not going to be a division one player. You're not even going to be a division three basketball player, Chris. So you need to figure out a way to stay connected to the game. And once I made that calculation in my head, I said, well, why, why not talk about it? Why not write about it? And from that point on, I did everything possible to get immersed in the field of sports journalism. So much that I was working for my high school newspaper, did some feature articles, and also I worked as an intern for a high school sports website called DC Sports Sand, where I would do feature articles as well as game recaps of football and basketball games, but primarily basketball games because at the time I was still playing football. So, yeah, that's that's how it that's how it got started, mm. man. Wow, and I couldn't have been more elated to tap um, tap into my creative juices and flows uh, to become, you know, a really good sports sports commentator and journalist. And you grew up in D.C., you said, based on uh, yeah, high school? Yeah, D.C. Oh, yes. okay. And considering that that was the beginning of your journey, so then obviously through high school, of course, next step I would assume would be college. Uh, yeah. What was that like as far as trying to find your way, find your path to get into sports journalism at the college level? Well, let's see, everything goes hand in hand. I researched all the best journalism schools, communication schools. Like shortly after, I knew that I wasn't going to be a, a professional boss, basketball player. And Syracuse is arguably the number one communication school in the country. Right. right. And that's where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to, I wanted to Creme de Creme, you know, Creme de la Creme, uh, the best of the best. And my parents were like, where, what are you talking about Syracuse? Why do you want to go to Syracuse? Like, where is that? And <laughs> like all this, you know, we had, yeah, it was very funny dialogue because they didn't, they were like, why do you want to go there? And then I, you know, gave them the lowdown and, you know, they, they bought in and, were very supportive and so that was my number one school and thank god i got accepted you know based on my hard work in the in the classroom and yeah on the well yeah just in the classroom because i did eventually walk on to syracuse as a football player but mm. getting into the school had nothing to do with my athletic ability it was all about my academics so much that i i did get a dean scholarship for four years at the Newhouse School, which my parents certainly appreciated uh, so they didn't have to pay as much money right. each year. But yeah, that, that's how the, the college process worked in terms of finding, a, finding the best journalism school. Because I applied to Elon, which had a good communication, communication school, uh, Morehouse, uh, where else did Hostra? They had a decent communications program, but nothing like Syracuse. And then I think Loyola Marymount in California. Mm. That was another one. And that might have been, yeah, I think that was it. And so that's that's what led me to Syracuse. And the rest is history as far as setting that foundation and really opening my eyes to the world of journalism in a way that I didn't see before. And I mean, obviously that's what college is for, 
mm-hmm. to grow and learn, but they gave me so many resources and, and, and skills to, to help me become great. Now, of course you started with writing, with journalism. How did the other things come about as far as maybe I'm sure the campus had a radio station. So I would think that an opportunity would arise where, Hey, Chris, would you mind getting behind a mic for an hour to talk about Syracuse athletics? Or I'm sure they probably had a studio where, of course, what you do now, and we'll get to that later on as far as SNY, but I would think that you probably went in to Syracuse thinking that you were going to become a journalist. And to a certain extent, you are today. But all the other avenues, and like you said, the resources that came about, how did that develop over the course of your college tenure, knowing that you probably went in focused solely on writing, and then here it is, I'm sure you came out with all these other different types of talents that you, of course, were able to develop over the course of your four-year college career? Well, you know, man, it's interesting you bring that up because the only reason that I started out doing game recaps and feature articles for the high school newspaper and the high school sports website is to get my feet wet in the industry. And I also knew how important writing is in journalism in, journalism in general because uh-huh. you need to be a great writer, whether you're doing uh, radio or print, and now in this case, digital or broadcast. So when mm-hmm. I got to Syracuse, my plan did not involve becoming a, a writer. I wanted to be on camera. Oh, okay. Like I grew up admiring <laughs> Bob Costas and Stuart Scott and Gus Johnson and Scott Van Pelt and all these other Hall of, you know, Hall of Fame class level broadcasters. Mm-hmm. And so I immediately took it upon myself to get into the student TV station, Citrus TV. And we had to work our way up there. So we first started in behind the scenes, like stage managing or running the teleprompter, the audio board, running the video playback. And then after a few years, then you become on-air talent. And that's when you get to really flex your your on-air persona and and work on making sure you're, you're the best you're best prepared for um, college or best prepared for the professional world after college. But so, yeah, we had a TV station. As far as, you know, you, the radio, great radio station, that's where a lot of our play-by-play broadcasters have, have come from, uh, WAR. I, I didn't follow that path just because I was focused on other things and I didn't put all of my eggs into that basket and then really pour my heart into working my way up on the radio side just because mm-hmm. it was a different process and you had to wake up at 5 a.m you know to do updates cast updates and you know we had a system where you get cleared to desk but the only way you get cleared to desk is yeah if you're you're doing updates uh like was it every i think do it twice a week but you have to come in super early to do the updates and yeah, that whole, yeah, that environment just didn't, didn't suit me to go along with my other priorities. But so like TV was the first priority. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, But yeah, we had the the student TV station, 
radio station learned so much because you were it felt as if you worked in a a real newsroom or a real sports department even though everything is run by the students and add on the actual educational piece in in class it's a dynamic it's it's a really dynamic duo as far as the the system that they have you got okay extracurriculars for the tv station and then you also have your classes that are giving you the foundation to know how to be a better better journalist and and become you know somebody who's going to be respected in the in the business yeah and that's the one thing too because i can imagine as you're developing your skills as you're getting yourself set up for your professional life. And that's the one thing, I guess it's the old adage. You get all the education you want, you get your degrees, you're off and running, but it's a matter of getting that first shot, that first break. So what was that like once you got out of college? Did you have a goal in mind as to go to a certain region or go to a certain area? Did you maybe want to come back home to DC to start? Maybe did you start in DC for all I know? What was that like post-college, and your transition into your professional career? So it wasn't a matter of finding a certain region that I wanted to be in. I just wanted to find a dang job. I'd be <laughs> grateful to go anywhere. Right. I was, and I it initially found a high school, or worked for a high school sports entertainment network called SEN that was the startup. And I worked as their national high school football scouter. And that helped kept my my broadcast skills and reps very fresh while I was looking for a full-time TV job. I ended up getting a job in Wisconsin, Wausau, Wisconsin to be exact. At the time I had nowhere, no idea where Wausau was. <laughs> and I also knew I needed to prepare for another beast of of uh, of cold and, and mm. winters. And yes. being in Syracuse, I obviously have the experience, uh, but the 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 weather and the winter in Wisconsin is much harsher, I would say, just from a wind standpoint. And I had to, yeah, I had to pack all my, you know, cold gear and make sure my i had all my layers big jackets big boots all these gloves yeah so that was my first job as a weekend sports anchor and reporter and i couldn't have been more elated to to go down there when i got the news when they told me they were offering me and then when i made the decision because i i realized that this this was the start of something special mm-hmm. and something new and uncharted territory for me to go to a place where they're not like 0.1% black people there, cold right. tech, eight months out of the year, basically, except yeah, six to eight months out of the year. And I don't know anybody, but I know that the process or this experience is going to really be crucial for my growth as a, as a broadcaster. And that's how, yeah, that's how that went. I just wow. kept applying to different, jobs 
all over the country, didn't hear back, would get rejected, said I needed more experience yep. or I would get, yeah, no, they would ignore me, didn't feel they needed to send a message or an email back. But it all takes one. That's all it. Takes one yes, and then boom, you're in there. And what year was that when you went to Wisconsin? So that was in uh, 2015. Yeah. Because okay. I graduated in 2014. And then the spring of 2015, that's when I got my first full-time TV gig. So Warsaw, I don't know if that's near uh, Milwaukee or even Green Bay for that matter, because I'm sure with all the cheeseheads there, you know, it's probably Packer talk even in the middle of the summer. And I would think also Bucks too, can't forget the uh, basketball team, Marquette as well. Yeah. But I'm sure being in that region, as you said, cold, everybody loves the Packers. And that yeah. was the time when that I think about it. I believe the Packers played the Falcons in the NFC Championship game that one year. I think it was 2016. That was the famed Super Bowl 28-3 where the uh, Patriots beat yep. the Falcons. So I could only imagine what the that time that you're going into that job knowing that the Packers were hot and remained hot, obviously, for many years, as long as the quarterback's there, and, of course, Aaron Rodgers. And then yeah. the Bucs already had Giannis there, although he was young and still yeah. on the come-up. What was the sports scene like for you as a guy from the East Coast, graduated yeah. from Syracuse, to then now here you are in Wisconsin with the three local teams, a few college teams, of course, University of Wisconsin, too, can't forget them. What was that like for a young guy that's just not only cutting his teeth in the business, but to be able to kind of juggle all these different teams, colleges, et cetera, pretty much uh, throughout the course of the year? It was amazing because I got to see the passion, the, the true passion. It's one thing to see it on TV and hear about it, but to be actually in the location, in the state, in the city where you have these rabid and diehard fans like for the Packers, like for the, the Wisconsin Badgers. It's incredible because you got to remember, not only did we have the, the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship that year, but we also had the, well, not, oh, yeah. Okay, that was 2016. Yeah. The year before, when I first got there, the Wisconsin Badgers go to the Final Four, and I'm the one covering it starting with the Sweet 16 in California by mm. myself, four weeks on the job, four weeks on the job, no experience doing any type of hard deadlines for sports reporting just because of how my career shaped out at Syracuse because I played football and I wasn't able to do as many broadcast activities or broadcast um, experiences as I wanted to. And they sent me, the company sent me to California to go cover one of the most important events in the sports sporting world, not even a month in. So, wow. and, and you obviously have Giannis who, you know, big fan of, yep. and, and then the Brewers, they stunk at the time. <laughs> obviously they're doing great now. Yep. They've really hit a, a 180, but, and can't forget about, it's not as sexy, but the, the local, the high school sports scene, I got so much joy out of that because every Friday night we would have this football show highlight highlight zone is what we called it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to, we're covering about 16, 17 games, uh, you know, combined 
as far as all like with all the resources that we have, we were able to cover about 16, 17 games. And then we come back and do the show. And it's it's exhilarating because these kids and parents live for Friday night football. Everybody right. comes out for the games. They're chatting. It's just a whole happy experience. It's bigger than just football. You know, you got the cheerleaders, you have the concession stands, people having a good time and then watching their their sons and, and daughters play at the at the at that level. So the scene I scene was fabulous to to be clear. The talent at the high school level may not have been right. wasn't the greatest. And I could appreciate that or I could clearly see that based on where I went to school since we we went to a very uh, one of the top athletic conferences in the country in the WCAC. So we we were we were breeding. I don't say breed, but we produced a lot of high class Division One talent in the WCAC. So going to Wisconsin and seeing that is like the major difference. But at the end of the day, the passion and the the commitment from the community and the the kids gave me a lot of a lot of excitement and, and happiness to do my job and, and make it easier. And then when you mentioned about your first month on the job and here you are covering Wisconsin out in California, that was the year that not only did they make it to the national title game, but they beat the undefeated Kentucky Wildcats at that time in the final four. And of course that was a, an enormous story because nobody has run the slate up until what was it? The 76 Indiana Hoosiers were the last team to yeah. do that in college. And here it is, Wisconsin, that they have their shot to upset Kentucky. And we know hey, Wisconsin was worthy to be that opponent. Obviously they made it to the final four. There were no, no slouch, but I can only imagine what that must've been like, whether you were at the final four or even just covering it locally, just to know that Wisconsin slayed the dragon of the previously undefeated <laughs> Kentucky Wildcats. Kind of walk us through how that whole experience was at that time in your early part of your professional career. So I'm with my sports director and we're, we're watching the game. I think the first half we both watched it like in the arena. And then the second part of the second half, I had to leave to get ready for the post game to cover the, the off the court or the players coming off the court reaction. And you knew that this was going to be a dogfight. We saw what happened the year before in the final four. And obviously I, I forget which Harrison twin hit the three, but Wisconsin fans and the players were heartbroken about that. So this, there was so much on the line. The storylines couldn't have been greater. You've got the undefeated Kentucky Wildcats trying to make history. And then you have Wisconsin seeking out revenge against Kentucky mm -hmm. and the electricity in the atmosphere, atmosphere, man, I, there's nothing like it, nothing mm -hmm. like it. And it's in, you know, it's at Lucas Oil Stadium, you know, so he's got the football set up. Right. And when I tell you how shocked the, the Kentucky fans and players were, it, it's something out of a movie. Because when Nigel Hayes, I remember vividly when Nigel Hayes was a forward for Wisconsin that year, they're coming out the locker room and they're celebrating, high-fiving each other, 
hugging one another, blah, blah, blah. He walks off as they're entering the locker room and where the reporters and photographers are waiting so we can go and interview. Nigel Hayes goes, uh, so are, did we just beat an NBA team or are we better than an NBA team now? Because that's what people were comparing Kentucky to because they right. were so, so damn good that year. But those experiences, those moments, you know, only somebody who was at the event can, can take away and share with people. And that's what makes live sporting events the best. There's mm-hmm. not there. You cannot compare anything live sporting events just because of the sure adrenaline rush and the passion that these people have for their for their craft and yeah those funny moments uh, are greatly appreciated because they add to your your story just in in general of your journey but also the in-game story of how how everything went down but yeah I, i i didn't get to hear the crowd erupt as loud as I wanted to since I was watching on TV outside the locker room, but it was loud enough that you could, you could hear the, the roars when that final buzzer sounded and Wisconsin walked off that court, taking down one of the best teams that we've ever seen in college basketball history. Mm. And I was pulling for Wisconsin to beat Duke in the following game, but obviously that uh, didn't come to pass. So Grayson Allen. Grayson yes. Allen. <laughs> That's listen, right. Listen, listen. So, uh-huh. The sports director tells me midway through the second half, I think Wisconsin has an eight or nine point lead. And we turn to each other and say, Wisconsin might really do this. They might, they might pull this off. And we're starting to think about, we're got, we got to get on court to get the on-camera interviews. And we need to be really aggressive and uh, grabbing players when they win, yada, yada. So we're, we're planning out all this. We have all these strategies. And then Grayson Allen enters the game and ruins everything. I, I, I think he scored eight straight points or something, completely shifted the momentum, and Wisconsin could not come back from that, even though they were playing really well before that. Once Grayson started his magic, yeah. It, That's when you knew. It was yeah. lights out for, for Wisconsin. But, yeah, I was rooting for them to – well. I wanted to see, yeah, the team I was covering win so I could cover a happy event. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, I, I wasn't able to do that. However, right. Duke was my favorite basketball team growing up in college. So the first uh-huh. uh, favorite basketball team. Uh, and so I, it was a win for me, too. Right. Right. I, like, I couldn't lose either way. I, you don't want to cover a losing a losing team in the in a national championship because the locker room is so freaking depressing. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we we saw we witnessed a, a pretty good game, and I'll never nobody can take that experience away from me. And here's a good one. Now that I think about it, how tough is it to hold those emotions? Now I'm sure, obviously, going to college it kind of trains you to maybe not root for a team if you're going to cover, let's say, for instance, in this scenario with Duke. Now, obviously, you want Wisconsin to win professionally because just like you said, you want to have that happy recap. You want to get the elation of the players, just the overall euphoria as opposed to them losing. But then Duke does win. And even though there's a part of you that felt 
oh, you are happy for Duke. That's the team you grew up rooting for. But is it kind of tough to have that balance where you're watching this and you're thinking to yourself either, oh, no, you know, Duke's doing it again, or in this case, Grayson Allen, or are you like, all right, on the inside, but having to contemper that because obviously you can't be a fan there. You have to be a journalist. How difficult is that to try to rein in those emotions knowing for the team that you grew up as opposed to the team that you're rooting for to win just so you'd be able to get on the court to communicate with these players? You know, I didn't find it that difficult to hold in my emotions because, as you said, Syracuse, the Newhouse School, does a wonderful job of training you to be objective mm. and and not show your not show any bias about a team that you may like or that you want to win. And so during the game, I'm I'm completely enthralled in the action. And I'm not even thinking about my fandom for Duke basketball. I'm trying to see how we're going to cover this team, the Badgers, that is, winning, winning it all. And once, once it got down to the final minutes and you saw Duke was going to win, um, I, think I, w- I think I was in the, outside the locker room again. You know, my mind's just preparing to get the on-court or off-the-court reaction when they come off, off the court. And I did. uh, So, yeah, it wasn't hard. It's funny because my dad, my dad obviously knew my love for Duke basketball. So after the game, you know, he says, I know you may be excited, Chris, but make (laughs) sure don't show any bias. Don't let anybody know you're happy that, you know, Duke won. Show your professionalism. And it it didn't. it, It made me laugh because I already knew that I needed to be objective in that sense and and not show any loyalty to, to one team or another, but just give an accurate uh, description and a compelling uh, recap of, of what had happened for this Badgers team that went on a magical run for, for two years. Mm. But I did, no. I did, like, so I went to Duke basketball camp for a couple, a few years, and I did end up, saying like congratulations to, to coach K and his, his wife. when I was walking through the hallway after they had won and he acknowledged me and said, thank you. So that was a, that was a cool moment. Oh yeah. Oh, nice. Now, what about your teams growing up? Uh, obviously Duke was, uh, any pro teams that you were just complete diehard for the way you lived in died by every pitch, every basket, every touchdown, uh, kind of curious to find out which teams were, uh, true to you as far as who you are, you know, growing up and the teams you rooted for? The Washington football team. Mm. They weren't, they weren't named that at the time, but of course, yep. we always called it. My dad always taught us to not say that uh, racist oh, name. Of course. So we, yeah, we just called it Washington football team. Oh, look at that. We went to, we had season tickets. Oh, we, we had a package. And we went to a few games each year, my dad, my sister, and brother. And I just remember so many disappointments and heartbreaks (laughs) that we used to leave, I think, near the end of the third quarter so we could beat the traffic. Right. And so we never – we often did not see the entire game, but it really didn't matter because Washington wasn't going to come back. 
or mm-hmm. they were getting blown out. There were some, I think, some exciting games where we where we won, but most of my memories from watching football team gave me uh, heartaches and, and headaches because oh. of how they, they just, they were so great at letting fans down. And, but we, we stayed, we, we were loyal and mm-hmm. didn't lose, it didn't lose sight of what it meant to be a fan and to carry on through the, through the rough times. And then after that, well, I said the Baltimore Orioles way before mm. the Nationals were ever, ever a thing. Yep. We went to a couple of games there. I love me some Albert Bell, Mike Messina, Rafael Palmero, Palmero. Uh, what was it? Roberto Alomar, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. I love those guys. I love, I love them all. Uh, and the Wizards, the Wizards, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had the years with, with Jordan and you know, a couple of years and then obviously Gilbert Arenas and, you know, uh, Antoine Jameson and John yeah. Wall more recently, Bradley Beal. But yeah, I grew up liking, see in the nineties, I grew up loving Chicago. So I wasn't really focused on the Wizards really until after, after the nineties, when we hit yeah. the two thousands era, that's when, I started to really become more invested as a Washington Wizards fan. Mm. Well, it's interesting and too. Oh, and in the Capitals. Sorry, I didn't, yeah. They, oh, yeah. No, that's right. Capitals, Capitals as well. They, we were in a, a the Capitals put so many of us in a, an abusive relationship. Oh, yes. If you're a fan, <laughs> because yep. of the way they would, they would get you so riled up and excited that they would you know, fight past their demons and not blow leads. And then they, they would just do it. It was all right on cue as if they, they knew they were going to stab us in the heart uh, after they had gotten like a three Oh lead or a three, one lead. And, and then they just blew it. Yeah. They had a very checkered playoff history up until they won that cup a few years ago. And yeah, they blew a lot of games to Sidney Crosby in Pittsburgh, which was Alexander Ovechkin's biggest rival, uh, losing series to the Rangers to the lightning. Yep. And then yes, uh, 2018 was the culmination. And then the following year, even I know you mentioned Orioles, that's when the nationals won. So it was almost like back to back years. The nation's capital was uh, a mini title town, so to speak, right. Baseball and a uh, hockey team. Yeah. You know, we're trying to be trying to be like the Packers, but yeah. they need to do a much much more better job. Yeah, much better job to get to that point. But yeah, mini title town is uh, is a nice way to to frame <laughs> it. And thankfully, I was able to be there for the for the Capitals Stanley Cup run. Mm. And uh, yeah, oh, and then yeah, we had so we have the Capitals, have the Nationals, then the Mystics won as well. I think yep. after or before, I think before the Nationals. Uh, so we had we had it all and i remember just the amount of tears and jubilation that came from or yeah that was uh, you know coming out from fans who had been with the team for decades and took their kids to the game you got generations of people who 
have been suffering and waiting for this moment. And I'll never forget the the scene when this game five, Las Vegas are playing Washington is playing Washington. I'm in Capital One Arena and they had allowed fans to watch the game on the Jumbotron there and it's packed and the countdown because it's a one run uh, one goal game at that time mm-hmm. and they're counting down the time it's like 10 9 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 and then the place erupts and they start playing we are the champions and you got kids crying and hugging wow. each other and then older people crying and jumping up and down and embracing with one another there's just so much black, white, green. Yeah. It didn't matter. Everybody came together. I remember my, I was, so I was shooting the reaction. And I remember afterwards when we went out on the streets, somebody said, yo, I haven't seen the nation this excited since Obama won the election. Wow. You know, and that, that just hit me because <laughs> I could appreciate that as a, as a black man, but also for real, because Washington sports, have been such a disappointment in terms of, you know, getting to a winning a championship. Yeah. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And my, but the point I'm getting to is when I was, we were shooting interviews and, and reacting after the game and my reporter, he's talking live on air and then somebody, some girl comes up and kisses him on the cheek. And that just encapsulated the, the whole night. Mm. People so freaking happy that they're kissing random strangers <laughs> on the cheek on live, live TV. And that was probably the, the tamest, uh, yeah, <laughs> some of the tamest stuff. You know, I just didn't see all the, you know, other crazy, crazy uh, right. nonsense. <laughs> All right, now, I know you mentioned you were in D.C. at that time, and that was like 2018. So did you transition from Wisconsin back home from a work perspective? Uh, how long were you in Wisconsin before you moved on to your next job? I was in Wisconsin for two years. Okay. And 2015 to 2017. Yes, I went back to D.C. after I started my my career in the in the Midwest. I had the DC job from 2017 in July to October in 20, 2018. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh-huh. So it was like a year, a year and change, a year and a few months. Oh yeah. And then from there, because of course now you're currently on SNY. So was your next step then to come to New York? Or was there another stop in between before you got to New York to where nope. you are now? Nope. No, I, I stayed or yes. The next stop was New York after after DC. I and got the job in November 2018. 20, oh, okay. So November 2018, then you come to New York and listen, you're in DC. That's a sports hotbed. Of course, anytime you're in the Northeast corridor, whether it's Philadelphia, New York, Boston, DC, we all know that that's a 24-7 news cycle, or in this case, sports cycle, when it comes to being able to cover. But here in New York, I'm sure when you got here, 
the challenge of not only juggling all these professional teams and some co collegiate teams because really all you have is St. John's here locally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, it's Columbia and there's a few others, but, you know, Rutgers on the other side of the river. But what was that like knowing that Midwest to back home for a little over a year and then now you're coming to New York? I'm sure that was a challenge you embraced with open arms. Kind of, kind of walk us through what was that like the very beginning of your tenure here in New York and then joining SNY to where you are now. So I, that, that period when I transitioned from DC to New York was really, really, I would say, no, I wasn't scared. It had been a long time coming because I had never imagined I would be working in the number one sports market before mm -hmm. I was 30. Cause I, at the time I think I was 26 years old. So uh -huh. that's a pretty big deal or that was a pretty big deal to me. And to have to cover the Mets, the Yankees, the Jets, the Giants, the Rangers, the Devils, the Islanders, you know, the Knicks, Nets, the Liberty, yeah. <laughs> the Knicks, the, the Nets. Uh, yeah. I love the challenge because I knew that you had to be, you had to grind a certain way to stay in this industry. If you were going to be successful in New York, you need to have a little edge to you and you right. needed to have that determination and work ethic that was going to rival nobody because they will eat you alive. Oh yeah. They will suck you up and spit you out. If you do not come prepared with your, your facts but also with your uh, hunger mentality to do whatever it takes to get the, the story. And I was, I was in heaven to be honest because I knew I'd be able to cover so many, so many teams and get out to these sport events and be in Madison Square Garden and cover mm -hmm. some historic nights in the, in the city. And we have, we did. So yeah, St. John's, like St. John's, when they beat Villanova that year, when Chris Mullen was still the coach, I think they came mm -hmm. back from an 18-point deficit or yes. something. He had made the, – the week leading up to that game, we had uh, went out to do an interview to get some B-roll and also some sound to, re, uh, to cover the game, preview the game. And after practice, I was – working with or not working but i saw mitch richmond who was one of the coaches at the time mm. like playing basketball on these one of these short hoops and i he misses a dunk one time he misses a shot and i grabbed the ball and we start playing or no i told him i want to check him and <laughs> so i check him and he's backing me down i'm you know i got my elbow on his on his back you know uh -huh. trying to you know push him away and then I'm so worried about making sure he um, he's not going to embarrass me that he ends up embarrassing me because he goes right by me and then dunks it. Wow. And the the st the uh, the staff are laughing, my photographers <laughs> cracking up. And so fast forward to the Villanova game, I'm interviewing Chris, and I was like, "So you have any plans, special plans after this huge win?" He said, no, I'll probably go to sauna, you know, get some dinner and then uh, watch Mitch Richmond dunking on you. 
Oh. That, that's how the that's how the interview culminated. But those those moments, I I always I don't take for granted because you can't get those anywhere else outside of you know being aggressive and actually participate or not being not participate, but being at the scene. You you can't you can't replace that. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask you as far as your favorite highlight to date. Uh, I would think it'd probably either be the first month working in Wisconsin to cover the final four or not the final four, yeah. but to cover the tournament for Wisconsin or that one, or maybe there's another one that even tops that, but that one is uh, pretty good. The story with uh, Chris Mullen and uh, Rich Richmond. Yeah. Uh, Mitch Richmond. Yeah. That, that, that Chris Mullen story, I gotta, I gotta be at the top. It's right. one of the top five moments of my career. Uh, I don't know, man. There's so, there's so many, like I interviewed, like interviewing Lennox Lewis mm. in on set when I first started in, in my first year. That was one hell of an experience. Talking to one of the best boxers to ever live. Uh, the game, the the NFC was a divisional round, I think. Uh, no, that was. Which the game where oh. the game where the Packers were playing the Cowboys in in Dallas. Oh and yeah. Aaron Rodgers throws one of the best passes I've ever seen in Jared Cook. The third down. and twenty. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, third and twenty. I was Bro. on the field. I was on the field for that because my sports director wanted me to cover the players coming off the field, mm. getting their reaction. So I'm not in the stands or in the press box. I'm on the field, you know, watching, thinking, okay, Packers are going to probably lose, lose this game. And they make one of the, he makes one of the most amazing throws you will ever see. Yeah. And that, that, that goes high up there because I ended up on USA Today in a, uh, what was it? I don't know if it was in a magazine or online, but mm. I was covering, I was shooting Aaron Rodgers after he, he had completed the come, the victory. And I guess somebody took a picture of, of Aaron walking out the, walking out the field. And there you see me in the back of him mm. with my all black suit, black tie and my camera holding the camera up uh, to make sure I have the, uh, the right shot or the money shot on, on Aaron. So that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like the, the moment in Wisconsin or in LA when I had to cover the sweet 16, a few weeks on the job probably will always be number one, just because I didn't, I learned so much about myself and whether I was going to make it in the industry because mm-hmm. I had missed my first deadline during the first day or the second day that I was there in LA covering practice. And I didn't know if I would be cut out for the business when that happened, because I'm thinking I'm not used to, you know, deadlines like these where you got to make all these, you have to meet all these demands and requests. And I figured that out. You know, I said either you're gonna you're gonna drown, you're gonna learn how to swim in this industry. And I've been swimming in this industry now 
for was it about seven years yeah and i just learned how to be a better how to better manage my time and then also speak up for myself to say this isn't feasible for me for me to do like i never would have been in i never would have missed my deadline if i had told them look guys we're going to be riding up really close to the five o'clock newscast for the a block and because practice ends so close to that time probably best that i just do a hit in the B block or in the C block, mm. A block, not going to do it. And, but, you know, I'm young, naive, so many things that I haven't learned about how to handle myself or speak up for myself. So if I had, if I just knew what to say and not, you know, if I just knew what to say in that moment, I wouldn't have missed a deadline, but everything happens for a reason. And I'm I'm grateful for it because it gave me that kick in the kick in the back and kick in the behind to know, all right, you're gonna figure out what you made of because ain't nobody else here helping you. You don't have nobody, you know, your sports director's in Hawaii on vacation. Mm. The number three guy is back in studio all the way over in Wisconsin. It's up to you. And I ended up getting doing what needed to be done. So that was a very long-winded way. I'm saying that's no. the number one. Moment. No, but hey, th- that's great. And to think that was pretty much your, listen, it's a long journey, even going back to, like you said, high school, because that, those are the building blocks to get to where you're at. But to think just a month in, there's a lot of people that probably have to wait a couple of years after college to get yes. that moment or to have that signature moment to think that, wow, I've arrived or I yeah. made it. And look at that, just literally one month in, boom, and you get this assignment right. and away you go. Yeah. All right, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I could talk to you forever, Chris. I, of course, appreciate your time for now, but I'm going to throw some rapid fire at you to close out. Yeah. So but uh, be, but before that, I would be yeah. clear. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, or I didn't feel like I had, and I know you weren't probably saying this, but I didn't feel like I had arrived at that moment. I just knew that I was going to be successful in this industry because I got passed through that hurdle and that challenge that I didn't, you know, fall flat on my face and crash and burn. Right. Uh, I just knew, okay, you're meant to be in the business. And that's what I needed to, to keep myself going. But all right, yeah, let's get into some, some rapid <laughs> fire now. All right, cool, cool, cool. All right. First one is, is that when you're on the streets of New York and people recognize you, what team do they want to talk about the most? They want to talk Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants. Uh, Cause I'm sure they probably ask you, Chris, what's up with the Mets, man? Or especially since you work on SNY, which is the network of the Mets, which is the one thing that most fans or people that you come across, they want to talk about? You know, man, I've only had, it's the Mets. Yeah. It it, it would have to be the Mets. But I've only had like five people probably come up to me (laughs) recognize me over the years. So I'm not, nobody knows who I am. Maybe a few people, but the people that do come up, they usually just mention the Mets oh, okay. and yeah, the Mets. Yeah. All right. Uh, I know your favorite team growing up was probably the Bulls. Cause that was also one of my questions. So uh, unless there was another favorite team that you just. No. Yeah. So it wasn't a favorite team. I just gravitated towards Michael Jordan. Jordan. I right. didn't like, yeah, I didn't have favorite teams back then. It was Michael Jordan, but I get, yeah, if you want to, you know, expand on that, uh-huh. then obviously the Bulls would be it. Who would be your dream interview? 
which I'm sure I know the answer to that one Ooh. is too. Ooh, dream interview. Ah, dead or dead or alive, or uh, well, alive? yeah, either one. I, well, how about one of each? Okay, well, dead. I would have to say Muhammad Ali, mm -hmm. and alive. I would I would say it's a toss up between Michael Jordan and Serena Williams. Oh, nice. I, I really. Yeah, I really admire their their work ethic and and what they did for their respective sports. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, your biggest influence growing up, whether professionally or personally. Biggest influence, personally, my my father and my mother, and professionally, Stuart Scott. Hmm. I'll let your boy. That's it. School's the other side of the pillow. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. No, absolutely. Uh, what is your ultimate goal in this business? Do you want to host your own show? Do you want to kind of be maybe even a Stephen A or, or are you content with where you're at now? Not necessarily where you're at, because I'm sure you do have goals and maybe have a thought process as to where you want to go. But what would that be to kind of be your end game as far as being in this business? I don't know, man. I that's People have been asking me that question. I, I Oh, really? And lately, since the pandemic and the evolution of sports media and how things are covered, I don't know. I just know that I want to be inspiring people with the stories that I tell and how I present myself. Mm -hmm. And if hosting a show will do that, then that would be great. I can see myself hosting the show one day. So let, let's go with that. All right. That's awesome. What's the one thing you love about your job? And what's the one thing you, I won't say hate, but dislike about it? One thing I love about my job, so much uncertainty. You never know when you're going to get that next iconic moment right. on the field or on the court mm -hmm. or on the track. One thing I don't like about my uh, oh well yeah uh, well how do you phrase the the second part? <laughs> uh, well, instead of saying uh, how do you hate it, it's, I don't want to use the word hate, but how do you? What's yeah. the one thing you dislike about it? One thing I dislike is probably the. <laughs> Uh, 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 one thing I dislike is probably the, the fact that I found we, uh, in the communications industry, we, we have a terrible time communicating within our own, own space, our own company. I would say that that's mm. the one thing I found common throughout all my experiences we communicate for a living. That is our passion. That's how we get paid to communicate. Right. And the communication skills within the uh, company do not match up with what, you know, you're trying to do. So that's probably one thing that I, I don't like. Uh, yeah. That'd be <laughs> off the top of my head. And I could see that because I experienced that many years ago where if you have somebody who's been there for so many years and they're pretty much set in their ways as opposed to maybe having, and I get that a lot of program directors and people who uh, are young, they're not going to be as progressive. They're not going to be as maybe cutting edge or even open-minded to kind of go a certain angle. If they've yeah. been there for so long and that's part of their culture, that's like, uh-uh, we can't have somebody that's new, that's fresh. We want to have like the guy that's 
pretty much sit at home all day, watch sports, which is, hey, that's the job to be able to watch these games and to break it down and analyze, et cetera. But I almost feel as if there should be more opportunities for a broad range of people, men, women, et cetera, to kind of get that better insight, the better feedback, as opposed to just having the one guy who's just, you know, been there for so long that, hey, it's time for that person to move on and bring in some fresh blood. That's just my take on right. it. But I, I hear what you're saying in reference to now, that. I, I definitely empathize with that. I had to deal with that yeah. type of mentality when I first started out. So I 100% know what you're talking about. Yeah. And lastly, and I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but I'll ask it a million and one. Okay. For the young cat that's out there or girl that's out there that's uh, looking to get into the business. And of course, in this day and age, I know the technology is at our fingertips. But for them to blaze their trail or to blaze their path, what are some words of wisdom that you could share for those who are out there looking to cut their teeth in the business? Well, don't hustle. Don't grind for a company that would that would leave you in a or that would drop you in a hot second if mm. they if they wanted to, if they need to make some cuts. I would say hustle and grind for yourself, for your right. own development, for your own self-worth. That's the mentality that you bring, not because you're working for such uh, said publication, but because mm-hmm. you know your work ethic and what you want to get out of a certain job or experience. Also, as you mentioned, everything is at our fingertips with technology. Take control of your your life and your the content that you produce so much that you won't have to rely on a company or a network being how you make your money. We've got people are making millions of dollars on YouTube and yeah. TikTok now based on their pro, uh, based on their con the content that they produce and their personality. And there are a lot of people who can do amazing things in the sports world and reap the benefits of that. So that's another thing work on building something that you own that you create so you become more attractive to companies if you want to you know go down that route and and be part of a, a major network and you know you'll be able to be fine more financially stable i would also say mm-hmm. learn take as much in as possible be a sponge from the people who have come before you mm-hmm. uh doesn't mean you need to adhere to everything they say because what you just brought up well you brought up a few minutes ago how some people are set in their ways mm-hmm. so you're not gonna you don't want to yeah become a carbon copy but you do want to be open to feedback and how things work uh and but also bring your own flavor to to the table uh and learn as much about your your job or learn as much about your your company and how the different positions work because mm. you will become a much better you become much better at your job period when you know what is expected what is required of all these different positions if you if you know what a stage man is supposed to do what an audio operator is supposed to do what a director is supposed to do you can work with them when you're the talent, you can work with them in ways that other people can't because you have the understanding, you have the knowledge of what every person 
is supposed to do. It's like quarterback on the field. You know, the wide receiver's got a slant, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. on this play. Or you know the slot receiver needs to run a, a curl, right, and hit at the sticks. Or you know the safety is playing, is shading over, you know, to the left of the formation, blah, blah, blah. So you got to make sure you throw him off you know, when you give them that pump fake or whatever, the yeah. same system here, when you know how everything works, I feel as if you are going to become a much better broadcaster and you'll know one day if like, if you want to run a company, you'll know what to look out for, who to hire and why certain hires are good and why certain hires are bad. So th- those are some pieces of advice that I would give to, to people right now mm-hmm. well said chris and what can i tell you man thank you so much for taking the time out to uh be a part of this podcast i'll uh, be sure to keep watching you on sny and if for those who want to follow you on twitter uh, where could they find you or any other social media accounts for that matter well i just deleted my twitter so and my oh you Instagram, did oh so look at that it won't oh, be all right me. i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think you must have did that within the last uh, hour or so, but. Yeah, no. I just love that for people. Uh, my Twitter handle is at CWilliamson44. And yeah, CWilliamson44 is where, where people can find me on Twitter. Chris, once again, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, best of luck. And again, I'll keep watching. And I'm sure those that follow you will do the same. All right. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Jason. It was a pleasure. Many thanks once again to SNY's Chris Williamson. I enjoyed speaking with him. Obviously, he gave you a lot of tidbits, some interesting highlights in his career, especially the Final Four, because could you imagine coming out of college and here you are thrust in the middle of the tournament and then the Final Four with Wisconsin beating Kentucky, who were, I believe at the time, 30-0, and and them falling short of an undefeated season. And then not only that, but losing to Duke, which, as I mentioned throughout the uh, podcast earlier that I cannot stand the Blue Devils as far as I could throw them. So for Chris to be emphatic and know that his Duke Blue Devils won, but he had to contain that in order to keep his professionalism, which I'm sure it's got to be hard to do, but that's why you go to school. And even for someone like myself who have been in press boxes before and press boxes for my own team, you could definitely differentiate because you just get the whole mood and vibe of a press box. And obviously everybody's there just to report on the game. I'm sure if there's a big story or even a play that just comes out of nowhere, you are going to hear a reaction. You are going to hear maybe a cheer or whatever it may be. But at the same time, it was good to get Chris's point of view on what that was like as well as his broadcasting journey. So once again, thanks to him. Now people, I know I mentioned this at the top. But I cannot stress it enough as a singular entity. That's right. I'm an independent operation. Just me, myself, and I doing this for you guys as I love to do each and every week. But I do need your help. So please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. That's just going to increase the visibility of this podcast. And of course, to attract more guests like Chris or the former or current athlete, the blogger, broadcaster, studio host, etc. All that's going to do, again, is put on the radar for some sports fans out there to wonder, hey, who is this Jay Reels? So by doing so, 
Again, or wherever you listen to podcasts, just please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, you could do so at the following social media accounts via DM by J Reels or the J Reels Podcast on Instagram. J Reels One, just the number on Twitter. The J Reels Podcast on my Facebook fan page, and the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send it my way. I'll be sure to follow up with you ASAP. And finally, to support this endeavor, if you'd like to go to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A T as in Tom, R E O N as in Nancy. What that does, it will not only support this endeavor by the upkeep of the website, the production of the whole shebang, equipment, etc. So with your contribution, whatever it is you want to throw my way, I would greatly and gratefully appreciate whatever it is that you want to contribute because whether you do or do not know, whether it's your first time, 10th time, 100th time, 200th, or even 217th time, this is what I love to talk about, people. This is my passion. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA to share my thoughts, opinions, analysis, and everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>